Well, good morning. It's good to have you joining us today for uh, this live stream. Got a couple of things that I want to bring to your attention. Some good news. Uh, this is something that has hung on our church doors for the last many weeks in this COVID-19 uh, uh, thing that we've got going on. And it basically just says that we have been paused. We're pausing all activities. Well, the announcement is this this morning. June the 7th, Sunday morning, we're going to unpause. We're going to push play, I guess, and we're going to be having a live service here in the sanctuary. And we're also going to be broadcasting live online. And so there's going to be a lot of details that are be coming out in the next uh, few days. And so uh, just be patient because it's not going to be like it was before we uh, had this COVID-19 thing. We're going to have to take some precautions, uh, some safety measures to protect people, but I believe that uh, this is an exciting day. We're going to come back together on June the 7th, Sunday morning, regular time, 1030, and uh, we're going to be giving some more information as time goes on. Uh, just let you know that so that you can mark your calendar, be a part of that service live. Amen. Uh, we're also going to be resuming our Monday night prayer uh, at 6:30 on Monday, June the 7th, excuse me, June the 8th. We will be resuming our Monday evening prayer. So all of you prayer warriors, make sure that you put that on your calendar. Join us here in the sanctuary for Monday evening prayer. Let's just take a few moments and worship the Lord. Thank you to our worship team, our tech team, uh, for bringing this to us every week. I know it's a lot of work to, to uh, bring these uh, 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 broadcasts to you, but uh, nevertheless, we thank those that are being a part of that. Uh, let's worship the Lord this morning. Amen.
As we worship you, I pray that we would gain perspective of our circumstances, Lord God, whatever it is that we're in the middle of right now. I pray that you would remind us who you are. Help us to cast our cares on you and to trust in your plan. And Lord, we thank you that you are our guiding light, that you lead us into your truth. You are our joy and our delight. Let us set our eyes on the the goodness of who you are. We thank you, Jesus. And amen. 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 Thank you for that. Well, if you would this morning, let's jump right into the Word. Open your Bibles to uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, and let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us, Lord, this morning. We just put this message in your hands, Lord, because I believe there's something very uh, important that you want to communicate to our hearts. So, Father, we pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon this Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning, so stay in there with me. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse number 19. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought a letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, my servant to, to you, that you may be that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went to his house, uh, went with his horses and chariot, and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the uh, Abana and the Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came and said and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and all his aides and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know there is a God in all the earth. There is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given 
two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. So here's one of these really unique stories in the Old Testament, a story about Naaman, a Syrian general, a guy that has a lot of prestige. He's over all the armies of Syria. And there was there a story about Naaman, the general, and this prophet of Israel that healed his leprosy. Uh, Israel's king, I mean, he panicked whenever Naaman arrived with this letter, uh, but Elijah rebuked him and said, hey man, send him to me. I'll take care of him. So uh, the prophet told him to go to the River Jordan and dip seven times. Now you kind of got to get this picture in your mind of Naaman showing up. He's very important, very prestigious man, shows up at Elisha's door, and Elisha basically just sends a messenger down and says, hey, go go dip seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman literally became incensed. And, uh, uh, you know, he had his own conceptions, I, I guess, of how it was that he was supposed to be healed, how this miracle was supposed to take place. You know, he felt like Elisha should come down and, uh, you know, pray over him, so on and so forth. Um, so ultimately he ends uh, he he leaves in rage he's uh, uh goes out stomping his feet he's incensed by what it was that uh, elisha had told him to do uh but thankfully there were clear heads in the group and his servants basically talked him into going to the river jordan and dipping uh seven times and so now get this picture naaman dips seven times in the muddy waters of the Jordan, and there's absolutely no change. Naaman's probably thinking, man, you know, uh, surely this is going to be some kind of an incremental thing as I dip once, uh, you know, a little bit of healing, as I dip twice, maybe a little bit more healing, so on and so forth. But seven, six times, absolutely no change. And Naaman's probably thinking, man, uh, this guy, Elisha, is probably playing me for some kind of a fool. Who does he think I am? But whenever he came up on the seventh time, every trace of leprosy, it's gone. It's gone. His skin, the Bible says, appeared as a child's skin. Naaman, probably very shocked. I mean, wow, can you imagine the leprosy in your body completely, totally gone? All of Naaman's fears of the future of his life completely gone. The, the visions probably that he had you know, seen in his mind about the hideousness of what this leprosy was going to do to his body, you know, his nose, his ears, his lips, his fingers, his limbs literally eaten off by this, this horrendous disease, you know, becoming an outcast because that's what would happen as a leper. He would be an outcast from his family, from his friends, from, from society in general. And ultimately, this leprosy would have caused this slow, horrible death, all of it, in an instant. That seventh time that he dipped in the River Jordan, in an instant, it's gone because there's no more leprosy. But as the story progressed, Naaman came up with this really strange request from the prophet. He wants two mule loads of dirt. Two bags of dirt. Two dirt bags. That's kind of the title of my message this morning. So just a little play on words. We're not talking about dirt bags in the sense that maybe some of you are thinking, but he's literally asking Elisha for two bags of dirt that mules can carry on their backs. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about these two bags of dirt. How many of you have ever heard the, the saying, there's cause and effect, cause and effect? In other words, something happens and it affects you. So, so what was the effect that this miracle had on Naaman's life? What was this miraculous healing whenever it took place? What was the effect that it had? Well, whenever we look at this story, I think the first thing that you can pick out real quickly is that Naaman had a heart of gratitude. So God touches his body, the leprosy is gone, and now Naaman has this heart of gratitude. He wants to thank 
this God that has just healed his body. So Naaman returns from the Jordan River. He's full of gratitude. He's really kind of humble now, not so arrogant like he was uh, a little while ago. And this is what he does. He offers the man of God because he brought all of these gifts with him so as to whenever he was healed, he could present these gifts. He offers the man of God 150 pounds of gold. Gold prices today, that's $4.1 million worth of gold, he offers Elisha. He offers him 750 pounds of silver. Rate silver at right now, $210,000. And it says that he offered him 10 changes of clothes. And in my mind, this is kind of like an Armani suit. He says, hey, I, I, want, I want you to have all of this stuff. But Elisha he literally says, nope, I don't want anything. He's not going to receive one bit of all of this that Naaman is offering him. I really believe this. I think if Elisha would have received that gift that was offered, I, I, have, I have doubts in my mind whether or not that Naaman would have reacted as he reacted. In other words, I don't think he would have ever asked for the two bags of dirt if Elisha had have received this gift. So the first thing you see, Naaman has this heart of gratitude. The second thing that you see is Naaman had a real change of opinion. Uh, whenever Naaman uh, arrived in Israel, I, I'll, just say, I'll just say this from what I've gathered or read in the text. I really believe that he detested Israel's king I think he detested the rivers in, uh, in Israel. I think he detested the prophet. I think he detested probably everything about the place. Whenever he comes from his country to Israel, he looks around and he says, man, there is nothing good that could ever be in this place. Um, he, he said, basically, these two rivers in his country, these, these rivers, uh, rivers of Damascus, they're better than the rivers of Jordan. The, the waters of Israel, he, he asked, he says, how come I can't go bathe in them? They're, they're sweet water. They're good water. Naaman saw the weakness of Israel against its enemies. And you just have to read a little bit more uh, of, of, uh, of 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. But he's seen that, that they had a, a weakness for their enemies. And him being a Syrian general, you have to understand that he probably thought, man, uh, this weakness needs, is, is terrible. He probably had real contempt for Israel. He hated the place. And again, he saw nothing good in it. Nothing whatsoever good. So he had a change of opinion. All of a sudden from there's nothing good in this place is, wow, this place is really good. And so uh, he makes this strange request. Nothing good in Israel. Now his opinion changes. Everything is good. All of a sudden... Naaman realizes that Israel is holy ground. It's holy ground. And so after Naaman experienced this miracle, everything around him literally became sacred. He begins to look around and he goes, wow, the prophet of God, this amazing man. He looks around and, and he sees this nation now in a totally different viewpoint. The, the, the prophet had become literally an agent of the most holy high God. The Jordan River literally became a divine tributary, not just the old dirty waters of the Jordan. The very ground that he stood on now, it's a sacred ground. So Naaman was suddenly convinced of the power of this God of Israel. Everything changed. Not only that he is God, but there's no other God in all the world. Naaman says, listen, no other God. There's just one. So all of this changes as it changes in Naaman. His, his opinion changes. He's got this heart of gratitude. I mean, can you imagine what Naaman was like? Uh, uh, a man uh, just forgiven of his sins, uh, at, at a church altar or wherever, you know how you would feel. All of your sins now washed away. All the sins that you've ever done in your life, it's gone. Naaman 
He feels, uh, you know, the thought process that's running through his head of all of these false gods that he's honored, all of these false gods that he's worshipped, all of these false gods that he's made sacrifice to, all of it was lies. He realizes that. Just like the man that's forgiven of all of his sin, he realizes all of those things that he lived for, all of those things he done, they're lies. Naaman had worshipped images made out of metal. He had worshipped images made out of stone. And now he had met the one true God. Opinion change. Opinion change. So he committed He says, I'm only going to worship this one true God, Jehovah God, the rest of my life. But there's a problem because Naaman is not going to live in Israel, the land of this God that healed him. He's not going to be around this prophet. He's going back to a place where there's worship of every kind of false God that you can imagine. He had a problem. He had to go back to his own country. So how would he maintain his faith, this newfound faith in uh, Jehovah God? How would he do it surrounded by all these false gods, Uh, literally surrounded by an idolatrous nation? How would he be able to do it? So whenever the prophet, whenever Elijah refused to accept uh, Naaman's gift, he asked for one more favor. So this is the favor that Naaman asked for. This request almost seemed kind of goofy if you think about it. He says, Elisha, I want two mule loads of dirt. So as much dirt as these mules can carry, I want bagged up and I want them put on so that they can carry it back to my land. So... Why would Naaman ask for dirt? I mean, I've thought about a whole lot of reasons. Maybe he wanted to plant a garden. I I don't know. I think, though, that whenever we look at this, we can begin to assess perhaps the reasons that Naaman wanted the dirt. First one is this. He wanted it for a reminder. Why would he want to take this dirt back to his country? He wanted the dirt as a reminder. You see, whenever you and I go to a memorable place, we take a vacation, we take a trip, we do something memorable, oftentimes we want a memento from that time. We want a a memento from that place that we went to. We want a picture of it. You know, here I am by the Eiffel Tower. Here I am by the Grand Canyon. Here I am, uh, you know, at this place where I've gone to. I can remember vividly uh, taking a trip to Israel many years ago, and uh, one of the things that I wanted from Israel was I wanted some rocks from all the various places that I visited. I had a friend of mine that asked me the same thing. He said, hey, bring me back some rocks from Israel. So I took a whole bunch of little Ziploc bags, and everywhere I went in Israel, I picked up rocks, tiny little pebbles. I picked them up from uh, uh, the, the, the Sea of Galilee. I picked them up off of the, uh, the Dead Sea. I picked them up uh, off of the, uh, the, the hills of En Gedi. I picked them up off of the, the road going down from Jerusalem uh, that the uh, Good Samaritan uh, story took place on. Uh, I took them up. I picked them up in Galilee. I picked all of these stones up, and I had them in little baggies. I had them labeled where everyone had came from. I still have those rocks today in a little basket in my living room of rocks I've collected from all over the place. They were reminders. They were reminders of a place. They were reminders of a time. We go to a a memorable place. We want to take a picture. We want a, a, a memento. So why do we want that? So that later, whenever that trip is over with, whenever that time in our life is over with, whenever we're thinking about it or we're talking about it to someone, it can be made real because we have something special from that place. Listen, if you come over to my house and you ask me about Israel, I'll get you the rocks out and show you where each one of them came from. 
if I can remember. They're not in the bags anymore. But I think I can still remember which rock came from the Sea of Galilee. That's why we have these mementos. That's why we have these things, so that we can, we can talk about them in a more real sense. We can talk about that time and that place. Some people come home with all kinds of crazy souvenirs. I can remember in uh, junior high, our whole class, because we didn't live too far from uh, what they call the Trinity site. The Trinity site is the first nuclear explosion that took place on the planet. Uh, they blew up this bomb about 50 miles from where we lived at. So if y'all think there's anything wrong with me, if you think there's just something you can't put your finger on, it's because I grew up next to the Trinity side and all this radioactivity. Well, our class goes and visits, and uh, whenever the bomb went off, it literally melted the soil. And so there's these pieces of, like, glass that are all over the soil. And I picked up a pocket full of them, brought them home, crazy souvenirs. Um, I don't know. We didn't need nightlights at our house. We had those glowing rocks. It's just a joke. So Naaman asked for two bags of dirt. Seems like a pretty strange souvenir. But I think that Naaman, whenever he asked for these two bags of dirt, that these, these bags of dirt were were they're tangible. They're this unchanging witness to this incredible miracle that had taken place in Naaman's life that he had experienced. And so he asked for these two bags of, of, uh, of, of dirt uh, because he had experienced this miracle straight from the very hand of the Almighty God, tangible, something that he could touch, something that he could see. So maybe he wanted something so he would never forget what happened in his life. Every time that he seen that soil, every time he seen that dirt, he'd never forget. This is, this is the dirt from the place where I was healed. Maybe a second thing. And now I'm going to use a word here. Don't, don't fear this word. I'm not into idolatry or anything like that, but... Maybe he wanted the dirt to become a shrine, a shrine. And I know that whenever you hear the word shrine, there's all kinds of things. Maybe it conjures up in your mind. But basically what a shrine is, it's a place that's holy, a place that's set aside to worship God. It's an altar. So maybe he wanted it so he could put the dirt in his house so that he could kneel on the very dirt that he carried back from Israel. Maybe he could kneel and worship Je Jehovah God, the one true God. Perhaps that's what he wanted the dirt for. It would be holy ground. Because I really believe that in Naaman's heart, he sensed that he was literally on holy ground, that this mighty God of Israel healed his body. And now Israel is, is not a place of disdain any longer, but it's a place that's holy so it would be holy ground. Some think that maybe he brought that dirt back and used it in the building of an altar so that he could make burnt offerings to God. Actually, if you read on a little, uh, uh, read to the end of our, our text, it says he, he mentioned literally sacrificing to Jehovah. One other possibility this morning, a reminder, maybe to build a shrine, but this third one is, Maybe it was to relive the miracle that took place in his life. He could have been recreating, if you would, that same atmosphere um, that he experienced in Israel whenever the miracle took place. I mean, you got to kind of think about this. As he stood there before Elisha, his skin literally still tingling from the miracle that had just taken place he would have felt the presence of the living God. I don't think that there's any way that Naaman could have been healed from his leprosy without experiencing the presence of God in his life. And I think Naaman never wanted that presence to leave. He wanted to keep going with that presence in his life. And so how could he have that whenever he went back to Damascus. I think in his mind, this was it. By taking some of the very place, some of the dirt back with him, 
he would keep that experience alive in his life, that miracle, that, that overwhelming presence of the most holy God in his life. So a reminder, perhaps to build a shrine, or maybe just to, to relive that miracle every day of his life, that miracle of healing. So this morning, as we kind of went over the life and times of Naaman, how, how can we derive a lesson from Naaman's life? So this morning, I, I hope that you can write down these points. So what is Naaman's lesson for us? Number one, don't ever forget what God has done for us. We cannot forget the times whenever God has done something amazing in our lives. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it says this. This is the Living Bible. I love the way it says it. It says, but watch out, be very careful never to forget what you have seen God doing for you. May his miracles have a deep and permanent effect upon your lives. Tell your children and your grandchildren about the glorious miracles he did. Don't lose your spiritual experience is what I believe is so important about this lesson this morning. Don't lose your spiritual experience. It's so easy to get caught up in what's happening in our lives today. All of the various things that are pressing in on us, uh, the busyness, the agendas that we have to keep, this coronavirus, all of the things that press in on our lives, it causes us to forget to keep the Lord as our first priority. You see, whenever I go back in my own life and I remember all the things that God has done for me, I mean, first and foremost is the day that I became born again, that night where God literally, His presence just enveloped me on a back pew at First Assembly of God in Carlsbad, New Mexico. It causes me to relive that in my life. And, and I can't ever forget that miracle that God did for me that night in Carlsbad. We can't forget the day we were born again. We can't forget the day that our sins were washed away. We can't forget that peace and that joy that just flooded us whenever we realized that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. All the times that God has helped us, and man, I'm telling you, He has helped us. He's helped every one of us. He's healed us. He's blessed us. He's kept us. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. You see, don't ever forget what God has done for you. Don't ever forget it. And Naaman loaded up these bags of dirt, and I believe that he brought them back with him to his own country so that he'll have a reminder of what it is that God had done for him. Never, ever forget it. God tells us in his word not to forget. Number two, don't let your experience grow dim. A few weeks ago, um, uh, I got a hold of a, uh, a little light that's powered by an LED, uh, powered by a little battery, little LED light, and I actually left it on, should have turned it off, and this is it. The, the battery finally ran down. But in the course of that light burning out or battery running down, it just got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until finally it went completely out. Years ago, whenever car lights didn't shut off automatically, uh, people would come to church and they would leave their lights on and, and we would tell them, uh, made an announcement from the pulpit a couple of times that, uh, you know, there's a so-and-so car out in the parking lot and you left your lights on. And if you don't want to go out and turn them off, don't worry about it. They'll go off eventually whenever the battery runs down. Folks, that's the same way it is with our experiences with the Lord. These amazing things that God has done for us over the years that we've served Him, our experience with God can go dim. In fact, I'll tell you this. I believe with all of my heart our experience with the Lord can actually go out. In Leviticus 6.13, 6, it says this, the fire must be kept burning upon the altar continually. It must never go out. I believe that's a word for us today, that this fire needs to be kept burning in our hearts. 
Don't let your experience go dim. You gotta have something in your life that reminds you of this fire that entered your soul on that day of salvation, that power of God that washed your sins away. Don't ever let your fire go out. The altar of our hearts is what I'm talking about here. God wants our, our hearts on fire for him. The Bible teaches in Revelation about the church of Laodicea becoming lukewarm. Lukewarm. You see, what's happening to this church is literally the fire that was once in them is now waning. It's, it's going dim. Don't ever let our experience grow dim with the Lord. God wants our experiences to be fresh. He doesn't want them stale. He doesn't want them sour. He doesn't want them decaying or fading. He doesn't want them being worn. But he wants, he, he wants us to have like, uh, like our experience just happened a minute ago. And he can keep that in our heart. He can keep that fire. He, he wants us to have a fresh encounter with him every day. Not just to look back and say, well, you know, I had this 20 years ago. I had this 10 years ago. I had this six months ago. He wants that fire to be kept burning brightly in our hearts. Number two, don't let your experience grow dim. Number one, don't ever forget what he's done for you. And my third and last point this morning is this. I believe that we need to prepare a time and a place where we connect with God. Years ago, before we had DVRs and all the recording mechanisms for our TVs, whenever a program came on TV, it was a one-time shot. You just you, you had to schedule the time whenever you and your family would sit down in front of the TV to watch whatever programming it was. Before that, it was the radio. Whenever the various programs came on on the radio, people from all over the country would find, oh, it's almost 7 o'clock. We got to get into the living room so that we can listen to the radio. We can watch our TV. Folks, I believe the same thing is so relevant with God. We have to say, this is the time and this is the place that we're going to meet with God. Prepare a time and prepare a place. Just like Naaman, he took that dirt uh, um, back perhaps to build a shrine, uh, offer a sacrifice to other gods. We or, or to God, not other gods, we should select a time. We should se select a place to offer God our sacrifice, our sacrifice of prayer, our sacrifice of praise, a time and a place. I think it's so fitting that we as individuals, we as people of God, should be able to offer God the first fruits of our time. In the morning, early, whenever we get up, the Bible asks us for the first fruits for tithes and offerings. So the first fruits of our time, it doesn't seem unreasonable. And I know many of you say, well, until I get my coffee, that's okay. You can get your coffee, but just carve out a space in the morning. It doesn't have to be six hours. It have to be two hours. It's just a place and a time where you can go and just say, God, I'm here. I'm here for you. I want to connect with you. I want to spend some time with you this morning, God. Whatever time of the day you choose, though, just set it aside, a place, a time to connect. This is what I'm going to do for my God. In Psalms 46.10, this is the first part of the verse. It says, be still and know that I am God. I tell you that we are a society that doesn't know how to be still anymore. We've just got to be doing something. Whenever we sit down and we try to relax on the couch we just still have to be doing something. So we get our phone, we get our iPad, and we, we, we start surfing the internet, looking on Facebook. We gotta be doing something constantly. I tell you that God, there is something that he asks for that I believe is so imperative, and that's that time, that, that moment where we come and we are just still before him. We quiet all of our phones, we put away all the outside distractions, and we just are still before him. In Psalm 27, 14, it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Again, this is just like Psalm 46. Be still, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. Again, 
I think we as a society have become terrible waiters. And I don't mean that in the sense where we wait on tables. I'm talking about we don't want to wait on anything. We don't want to wait on our food. If we drive up to a fast food window and we order our order, it should be there within just a few seconds. And if it's not, we get all upset about it. I can remember the day time whenever there were no fast food drive-up windows. Everybody went in and was seated. Yeah, I know that makes me sound ancient, but it's true. So wait on the Lord. Um, I have a tendency to uh, pray and um, then just jump up and go. And there's really no waiting there. But God has this this request that he asks of us to be still, to wait on him, to come and to find that place where no distractions are there. It's just you and him. He wants to connect with us on an intimate level. And that's why he asks us to be still. That's why he asks us to wait. So preparing a place and preparing a time where we can wait on the Lord, a place and a time where we can be still before the Lord. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, God warns all of those who don't stop and don't wait. Just listen to this. This is out of the Living Bible. I like the way it says it. It says, For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, says, Only in returning to me and waiting for me will you be saved in quietness and confidence is your strength, but you'll have none of this. So God's basically just saying, only in returning to me, waiting for me, will you be saved. Only in that quietness, only in that confidence is your strength. But here, he's speaking to a people who are basically saying, nope, don't want no part of that don't want to do that. I'm just going to keep on hurrying through my life. I'm never going to carve out a time. I'm never going to have a place where I just come to meet with you, come to connect with you. David said in Psalm 141, verse number two, it says, treat my prayers as sweet incense rising. My raised hands are, your evening pr- are, are my evening prayers. God is delighted with your prayers. So think about how God receives this moment where we we carve out a time, we carve out a place where we connect with him. It says he's delighted with our prayers. In Proverbs 15, 8, it says, the Lord is disgusted by gifts from the wicked, but it makes him happy when his people pray. So here's God speaking to us about preparing this place, preparing this time where we can come in and we can pray to him and connect with him. It, he's happy with it. It, it, it. it brings joy to him. So go back to the title of my message this morning, Two Bags of Dirt. Naaman wants two bags of dirt. He wants to carry them back to his land. We've discussed the reasons why. I believe Naaman had a good idea. I believe he had a great idea to hold on to that newfound faith to keep the Lord first in his life. You see, these two bags of dirt were going to help him never to get stale, never to grow cold, never to forget. And I think that we look at Naaman's life and, and, and we should be like that. Naaman took definite steps to bring this about in his life. I mean, he could have foregone the dirt, said, nah, I don't need any dirt. I can just go back to my country, go back to my house, and and I can do all these things without that dirt. I imagine his wife probably threw a fit whenever he came hauling two bags of dirt in the house and said, honey, look what I brought back from Israel. I imagine that she probably thought he was crazy. But Naaman took definite steps so as that he could do what I believe was so important to his heart so that he'd never forget, he'd never grow cold, his experience with God would never be stale. This morning, the question goes out to all of us. Do we or or have we a shrine that we've established in our house for God. Again, don't be thrown off by that word. 
Shrine means this, a place regarded as holy where we can worship God. Do we have that in our house? We don't have to bring a bag of dirt in and build some stone altar somewhere, but it's a prayer closet. Maybe it's a spare bedroom with a bed in it. Maybe it's sitting on the front porch. Maybe it's sitting at your dining room table early in the morning where you can just get alone with God. A place regarded as holy where we can worship God. Maybe it's in the front seat of your car. Maybe that's the only place where you can get away from the kids, the dogs, the husbands, the wives, so on and forth. You just need to go out, turn on uh, your music and on your car. Not, not a country western station. I'm talking about Christian music. And just get alone with God. A, a place in your house, a place in your garage, it makes no difference. But it is nevertheless a place that's dedicated, a place that's used for the purpose of connecting with God. Oh, to connect with God. One of the greatest things that God has ever given humanity is the ability to connect with Him, the ability to become His friend. So do you have that shrine, that place where you could worship God? Again, one more thing. Are you creating an atmosphere in your home, in your business, in your automobile, wherever it is that you are, where God can be honored. So just speaking of our home, are we, are we creating this atmosphere where God can be honored? And last, are we making sure, absolutely positive, that we remember the miracles that God has done for us? Remember the miracles. Let them play over and over in our hearts. Every time that Naaman looked at that dirt, whatever it was that he did with it, if he built it into a stone altar to sacrifice, I, I don't know, whatever he did, every time he looked at it, it kept the miracle fresh in his life. He remembered the day whenever on that seventh time he came up out of the water and his leprosy was gone. He remembered the day where he had an encounter with the holy God of Israel. Are we a people who are keeping our devotions, our devotion fresh with God? That's what this is all about this morning. Do we still feel that fire, that fire of God in our hearts? I pray that all of us take this message and we commit or maybe we recommit. Maybe we commit a little bit more. Maybe we commit a little bit better, do a little bit better job of making sure that God is number one. That's really what this is about. It's just keeping him number one in our life because it's so easy for him to become number two, number three, Number four, my son-in-law and daughter, whenever they first got married, one of the things that they uh, got was a dog. They named him Cash, big Doberman Pinscher dog. And uh, in their family, Cash was number three. It was Clinton and Jalen and then Cash. And then came along Nora. And Cash got moved to number four. And then came Abel and number five and then came some horses and that's six and seven and eight and then chickens and ducks and i was over at their house not very long ago and cash come running up to me and i was petting him and and i think cash has been demoted all the way to number 13. he's kind of the he's kind of the low on the totem pole see we can't allow the world to do that with our god we have to keep him number one we can't allow anything in our homes, in our hearts, in our lives that, that makes God less important. And the only way I believe to do this is to follow closely these three steps we just talked about, making sure that God remains number one. Let's pray. Father, this morning we love you and we thank you for the message that you have taught us out of this word. 
We thank you for the example that Nahum had, Father. We know that Naaman, Father, was, was changed by your power, as have we been. We've been changed by the miraculous power of Almighty God. We've seen your hand in our lives so many times, but Father, the world has a way of squishing that out of us. And this morning, I pray that we become a people who are, are committed to the idea of keeping you at number one making sure that there's nothing in our lives that become more important than you. Father, may the altar, the fire on the altar, burn brightly in each one of our lives. And I speak that over every life that's listening in this morning, that we would keep that experience fresh and alive and, and white hot. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go out and make sure God is number one in your life. Amen.